Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Springfield Googleplex, the movie podcast for Simpson fans, now brought to you by ThatShelf.com. Each week, we talk about a movie parodied on The Simpsons. Maybe it was The Simpsons that introduced us to the film, or maybe when we finally saw it, we realized, hey, that's where that Simpson joke comes from. Regardless, each week, we pick one that at least one of us hasn't seen or hasn't seen in a while, watch it, and come together to discuss I'm your host, Adam Scholes, and joining me always is the Wayland Smithers to my Charles Montgomery Burns, my co-host, Nate Storing. How are you doing today, bud? I'm pretty excited because uh, we have a brand new miniseries that we're starting uh, mm-hmm. this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all about the musicals and the, the musical movies behind them in The Simpsons. Yeah, so I mean, when we finished season one, you and I got together and we were kind of trying to like figure out, okay, well, how are we going to approach season two? We didn't want to just do the exact same thing that we had done before. And you kind of pitched this idea to me off the cuff and you were pretty convinced that I was going to be into it. And naturally I was because what I guess, you know, people here may not know about us, unless you're one of our listeners who happen to have like grown up with us, uh, is that Nate and I, you know, we went to high school together, but we went to an art school. Uh, we were both drama majors and we both appeared in a couple of musicals together. Nate actually had the starring role as Danny Zuko in our high school production of Grease. <laughs> and I had the not-so-starring role as the only male character who doesn't sing, Sonny. <laughs> and you played you played Sonny like Scarface, basically, Yeah, as uh, I recall. Yeah, originally, I actually, I remember when we did the auditions, my voice was much more like Mo Sislak, or actually it was more like one of Fat Tony's goons, but then... Uh, <laughs> Like halfway through rehearsals, I watched Scarface for the first time, and for whatever reason, I couldn't stop doing a bad Tony Montana. So this Italian American teenager became a Colombian drug lord or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. A Cuban drug lord, actually. Cuban, Cuban. Yes. Okay. And uh, of course, you know, for those who don't know, I am neither Cuban nor Italian American. Uh, I am of Irish stock. So uh, red hair is a a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, it was interesting casting to say the least. But anyway, all of this is to say that. Nate and I, we both love musicals. We've been in musicals. I've been a fan of musicals since, you know, I was a little kid. I think the very first musical I saw was The Wizard of Oz. My parents took me to see that when I was like three years old, and I've been going to musicals ever since. What about you, Nate? You also have been a a, a longtime musical lover. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like when I was young, one of the treats that, that would sometimes come my way is we'd go into Toronto Mm -hmm. And we would see a musical, uh, you know, on King Street somewhere. And, you know, I feel like I saw The Phantom of the Opera, of course. Of course. Uh, I I saw Cats. Yep. uh, West Side Story. Oh, You know, a lot of really good musicals when I was pretty young, probably under 10 years old. And I've always been a big fan of that genre. I feel like it was very influential at that time and to me. And also probably had a big influence on why I ended up at the high school that you ended up at. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Was just having that experience as a young kid. And, you know, when we were hanging out recently, you were actually in town to see the Phantom of the Opera with me. Right. You know, for this uh, final round on Broadway. And that was sort of what suddenly struck me is that we both have this passion for musicals. And of course, musicals are such a big part of the DNA of The Simpsons. Yeah, absolutely. And like, we were very lucky in that we sort of grew up in this, to call it the golden era wouldn't be accurate, but certainly it was the era of the 80s and early 90s West End mega musical 
And Toronto was really a hotbed of bringing those things over from the West End to Canada to sort of like either try things out before they would go to Broadway or they were successful on Broadway. But Toronto had this incredible theater scene that you actually could sustain having sit-down productions that would run for, you know, upwards of a decade. Like, Phantom of the Opera ran for just under 10 years here in Toronto. So musicals, as we were growing up, were very much part of sort of the pop culture DNA. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, they permeate The Simpsons so much. And it's always been one of my favorite things about the show. I know growing up, my dad bought me the album Songs in the Key of Springfield, which oh, yeah. was basically a soundtrack album to The Simpsons that contained excerpts of dialogue sequences from the show, but some of the more popular musical numbers. It, it was so entirely up my alley. I, like, this was my favorite thing on the show was all these, like, song and dance numbers. So uh, when you presented this idea to me, I immediately took to it and couldn't wait to sort of unpack some of these iconic moments in the history of the show and more importantly take a look at the films that inspired some of these iconic moments in the show because what i think is actually really exciting about this is that most of the titles here like are brand new to both of us totally i mean that's the interesting thing is that some of the movies that we watched the last time around we definitely knew the Simpsons parodies more than we knew the movies. But with this in particular, a lot of these musical numbers are from things that I've never seen. I know absolutely nothing about. So it's really exciting to have an excuse to kind of explore <laughs> movies a little bit more. You know? Yeah, exactly. OK, well, before we sort of tuck into what we're going to be talking about in terms of the films and the musicals we're going to be watching... Maybe we should talk a little bit about music and musicals and The Simpsons, because this really has been a part of the show's DNA since almost the very beginning. Yeah, starting even with Matt Groening himself, right? He has talked about in a lot of different interviews just his musical taste, and he has this really interesting, eclectic background with music. Apparently, like as a teenager, he discovered experimental jazz and Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart and Stravinsky and... All of this kind of this weird stew of musical taste, and it's something that he's sort of carried with him for his whole life. And there's like a bit of that influence in The Simpsons as well. Um, he's actually also a member of a band. Did you know this? No. He's a member of the Rock Bottom Remainders, which is a band of all writers. Yeah, that's like the Stephen King band, right? Yes, yes. Stephen <laughs> King is in yeah. it. Apparently, Barbara Kingsolver has oh, also wow, been yeah. in it at various points. And a lot of other writers, those were just the two that jumped out at me. But I thought that was really cool. So he's, he's always had this kind of musical sensibility. And so when, you know, The Simpsons sort of made the transition from shorts to uh, a full series, they needed a theme song, right, for the intro. Right. And so, you know, I was kind of looking around to try to understand, like, how Danny Elfman got involved and all that kind of thing. But one of the things that I found was just that you know, Matt Groening has mentioned that Pee Wee's Playhouse was actually mm. one of his sort of favorite things. It's on his, we've talked about it a lot, on his, on his list of 100 favorite things. And so Danny Elfman, just before he got onto The Simpsons, had actually done the music for Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, the Tim Burton right. movie, all of that, which was kind of his breakout into doing movie soundtracks in general, movie scores. Right. I mean, I know Danny Elfman as the guy who scored all the Tim Burton movies and right. comes up with the greatest Batman theme of all time.
but like prior to that, he was in like weird experimental bands, right? Yeah. He was involved with this band called Oingo Boingo. Right. <laughs> Great name for a band. I think early on, like in the 70s even, he was kind of writing scores for Oingo Boingo, and mm. they were doing a lot of adaptations of 20s and 30s jazz music, which is, again, interesting when you think about Matt Groening's taste, interesting when you think about some of the musical influences on The Simpsons, too. But he was super influenced by sort of Hollywood Golden Age composers, including right. Carl Stalling, who did, like, Looney Tunes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you can kind of get that there's obviously some shared interests here, right? Yeah, the totally. Sort of 20s and 30s and 40s music with lots of energy and kind of a weird sensibility. I think Matt Groening also loves Carl Stalling. So then, you know, in 1985, he does P.B. Herman's Big Adventure. 90, or in 88, he does Beetlejuice. He does Midnight Run and Scrooged. Oh, 89, wow. he does Batman. And then the same year, he also does the first episode of The Simpsons. I mean, the thing about Elfman is that he is so good at coming up with a memorable melody. There are lots of amazing film composers out there, but so many of Danny Elfman's scores have these melodies that get caught in your head. And yeah. The Simpsons melody, of course, is one of a great example of that. And um, it's also got that great <laughs> Elfman-esque quality of like, it's really out there. I, yeah. I remember my aunt one year for my birthday gave me a book of uh, Simpson sheet music. This was when I was still like actively taking piano lessons and everything. And so it's got like Lisa, It's Your Birthday, which fun sidebar is credited to Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, even though it was actually <laughs> written by Michael Jackson. But the credit is to Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart for legal reasons. And it's got, you know, like the We Put the Spring in Springfield and the mm -hmm. um, See My Vest and all this stuff. But it has the sheet music for the Simpsons theme. And it is unplayable because it is just like <laughs> it is full of like sharps and flats and accidentals. It's just like it is completely bizarre and yet everybody knows the simpsons theme right like, you can hum this, it even if you can't play it <laughs> yeah it's the, but it's just there's something very unique about it but also yeah. that makes it uniquely danny elfman-esque totally totally and so his bandmate richard gibbs was the composer for the series for the first season and part of the second season which oh. i didn't really know until i i kind of dug into this because of course, I always think of Alf Clausen, who was the yeah. composer for most of the run of the series. But yeah, he came on in season two with hmm. Treehouse of Horror. So I thought that was kind of interesting that there is a little bit of continuity from Elfman into the series proper as well, because he wasn't directly involved with any of the composition outside of the theme song. Right, right. Well, let's talk about Clausen then, because I mean, obviously, like he is responsible for the sound of the show, and in many cases, although not all cases, because uh, as some people are probably aware, some of the songs were written by actual staff writers. You know, uh, Jeff Martin, for example, famously wrote a number of both the lyrics and music to a number of the iconic Simpson numbers. But for the most part, most of the music in the show is written by Alf Closen. So let's talk a little bit about him. So he started... With, like I said, the first Treehouse of Horror episode in season two, which is interesting because that episode, of course, features a lot of unusual musical segments for the show because it has, you know, the Raven. It has all of those different segments that kind of feature different styles and themes. And then right. the closing credits also feature that uh, theremin version of the main theme. 
you could tell that he was really showing off because I think the episode was a bit of an audition for him. Right. And of course, he got the job. Um, <laughs> so from 1990 until 2017, he was both the, the composer and also the conductor for the Ooh. orchestra. Obviously, I knew that there was like an orchestral component to the music for the show, which is very, very unusual, especially at the time, very unusual for television. And um, they have a 35-piece orchestra, which wow. I gather is bigger than most TV at the time and probably in the present too, but also it's actually about half the size of an orchestra that's typically used for a movie score. For context, the average Broadway orchestra up until recently, and this is a whole thing, and it's part of the downsizing of Broadway right now, but when Oklahoma opened on Broadway, it was a 28-piece orchestra. So, like, 28-piece orchestra sort of used to be the standard for Broadway's. 35, like, that's bigger than a Broadway orchestra. So, like, that gives this level of richness that, like you say, is uncommon for TV. His process was that every single week that the show was running he has to come up with about a, like usually several dozen cues and then he they record on Fridays and and then they turn around and do the whole thing again um so he's just pumping out music constantly or he was that's remarkable and i mean obviously like he has some themes to work within but have to do that week after week is pretty incredible and the other crazy thing is alf also worked on the critic uh, no no way yeah from 94 to 95 and he was doing this basically moonlighting while he was also (laughs) doing the simpsons so again he's doing dozens of cues and recording on fridays for the simpsons and then he's also writing the music for the critic which is just seems insane i have no idea how a human does that but that is wild. We've referenced the show a couple times, and obviously, like, he shows up on The Simpsons. For people who have not f- watched The Critic, if you like our show, you yeah. will absolutely love The Critic. The premise of the show was, like, Al Jean and Mike Reese, they love doing movie parodies. So they're like, why don't we make an entire TV show based around movie parodies? <laughs> so it's just, it's nothing but, like, 90s movie parodies. And it stars John Lovitz, which, like, what more can you ask for? Oh. And it has music by Alf Clausen, so, like, which I didn't realize. So that's amazing. Yeah. And so I was reading some interviews with Alf about his process and mm. in particular, how does he deal with parodies, right? Because again, that's what we're here to talk about. So get yeah. this. So this is how it works when you hear like a musical parody on The Simpsons. Not like an original song, but like more like a score parody, right? Right. A sound a sound alike, you mean? A sound alike, but not like there's no singing, right? And oh, okay, the okay. Characters yeah, are yeah. not involved. So like for example, in one episode when Lisa gets a pony, right? There's a scene where she, you know, runs through the hall to thank her parents and and kind of like bucks the horse. And you actually hear, like, a little piece of the score from The Magnificent Seven, I think. Right. right? Okay. So it's, like, that kind of thing. So typically, the producers or the screenwriters, same thing, indicate that they want a parody in the script. Right. Um, Alf sees the script, and he asks them for three or four clips uh, that sort of are a good example of what they're looking for. And then once he gets those clips, he says he literally has about 15 to 20 minutes to distill the essence of that music. Oh my god. And figure out how they're going to do it in the score. Right. So like that's how those sorts of parodies work, which wow. is mind-blowing because he just must have an incredible grasp of 
figuring out what is the sound alike, right? How, yeah. what is it about this, you know, melodically, rhythmically, you know, in terms of the way it's played, all those things. The orchestrations, the, the instruments right. being used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That are going to make people think of that movie when they hear this. While still being Especially legally different enough to not get sued. Right. right. Yeah. 15 to okay. 20 minutes. Jesus. Um, so that's pretty wild. And then the and then the other interesting part of his process is about how does he write those songs, right? So mm. this is what he said about original songs, but I imagine that this also applies for the sort of parody songs as well. Right. That, you know, require someone to actually write the lyrics for the cast to perform and all of that. So that process takes about seven to eight months. And that's because it's more integrated into the animation, into the cast right. recording, all of that. So, again, the writers typically write the lyrics. They give it to Alf. Alf writes the music to the lyrics. Then they record sort of demos of the song with just like a rhythm track and studio okay. singers. So not the cast, but just people who are actually doing the melody. Right. Then the cast dubs over the voices and the animators take that version and actually animate around it. Right. Um, so the tricky part, though, is that when the cast is recording and then when the animators go and animate, often this version comes back with extra shit. <laughs> oh, no. Because, you know, they improvise a little bit. Right. right. The cast yeah, yeah, yeah. adds a thing here or there, or maybe the writers add a line here or there, or the animators add an extra gag or whatever. And so often when Alf gets it back, he would have to add, you know, a couple bars of music here or there to connect oh, the wow. dots. And apparently that was a nightmare because it would often be in a different time signature or yeah, yeah, yeah. just like all sorts of crazy nonsense that like musically must be really, really difficult. So he'll write a little bit of extra and then record it with the full orchestra track. And that's what you finally hear on the show. So again, I feel like often it gets taken for granted, particularly when we're talking about all of these parodies, right? And how much work goes into the musical aspect of it. But Totally incredible. You know, as much as obviously the writers and the voice actors and the animators, like they're all such a key element of the show. I would say that his contributions to the show are part of what has made it so successful over the last three, almost four decades. Without that element, this show doesn't run for as long as it does, because those are the things that make the show so special. Yeah, absolutely. And so obviously, you know, in 2017, he was dismissed from the show, right? Yeah. You know, I didn't follow this very closely. And See, I, I, I remember hearing about this and hearing mm -hmm. that Fox had decided they're like, yep, we're going to let him go and we're going to use stock music moving yeah. forward. And again, there have been instances of stock music in the show. Like, you know, probably my favorite piece of score in the entire show is the Land of Chocolate music. <laughs> Right, right. So when they sort of announced that, like, they were no longer going to be using him, it was just like, that's effectively like getting rid of one of the showrunners. Like, he's so integral to the sound and the tone and the vibe of the show. For sure. Although I will say, I believe that they actually did replace him with not stock music, but with a company that does composition okay. that was co-founded by Hans Zimmer, actually. Mm. Which I didn't realize. Actually, yeah, that does that does sound familiar, actually. Because Hans Zimmer, for those who don't know, in addition to writing the theme from The Critic, he composed the score to The Simpsons movie, 
which is right. insane to think that the guy who did the Batman Begins and Dark Knight score also did the Simpsons movie. But like <laughs> he's incredibly prolific and like he is, again, one of our greatest living composers. I No disrespect to Hans Zimmer at all. For sure. But, for sure. And so his company, uh, Bleeding Fingers, I believe, now does okay. the music for it. You never know really what's going on behind the scenes exactly. But I thought that the reasoning for supposedly why Clausen was let go is interesting, relevant to what we're talking about today, which was just... So Matt Selman sort of released a statement that basically said that they felt like, you know, he'd done a great job, but they needed someone that could keep up with the times in terms of musical style in particular Mm. and references. So they wanted to reference contemporary music that involved, you know, hip hop and rap and EDM and all of these styles that had become more and more popular over time. And Clausen's skill set is very much rooted in jazz and Broadway and and that kind of like first half right, of the or, 20th century sort of style. orchestral film score type sounds. Right. I, okay. Right. Well, so that's the, so. I, supposedly, their new composers can kind of do that, but also do you know some other more contemporary things, I guess. And maybe that's part of the trade off of not having sort of one person, but really having more of a company that's that's involved. But, you know, again, who's to say? Because I think that there are always a lot of complicated factors in how these things go down. So I just thought that was interesting, though, that maybe, you know, more recent seasons are trying to integrate new kinds of parodies and references. The other reason why I was really excited about this idea for a series really focusing on musicals is because, you know, some of the best loved parodies in The Simpsons are also musical numbers. So I thought we could talk a little bit about how musicals have kind of evolved on The Simpsons because early days, it wasn't really something that was done. It took a few seasons for them to kind of work up to this idea of having a full-on musical number in the show. It's so funny to think because, like, it feels like it's so a part of the series. Like, I I associate not just you know, parodies of specific Broadway shows or movies, but just music with the characters breaking out into song like they would in a Disney animated film, you know. That to me feels like so a part of the DNA of the show. But what is super interesting is that you sort of discovered that actually, at least in those early days, very much was not a part of the show. And it kind of crept up and came up a little bit later than maybe people expected. Yeah, because I think we've talked about this before, but the original idea of the show... And Matt Groening's sort of vision for it was that it was very rooted in reality in a lot of ways. And it's more like an animated sitcom than a traditional cartoon. And so I think anything that sort of broke that reality, they were very hesitant to go too far in that direction. And so the seasons under the original showrunners, so seasons one and two, are much more conservative about that sort of stuff. So can you guess what the first musical references on the simpsons oh wow no (laughs) like i I said i I, it feels like it's just been a part of the show since day one that i literally have no idea where it even would have actually begun well you actually uh answered correctly it was part of it from day one (laughs) So so the very first episode there is a musical reference in it it's one that is actually not on our list and not necessarily musical that a lot of people will remember, but in uh, Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire, there's a scene where they're going off to the dog track, and it's Barney and Homer and Bart, 
And Barney and Bart are actually singing a song from the Gold Diggers of 1933. <laughs> mm. um, that, which, that, that, that classic. Well, it's interesting because <laughs> it's not a musical that a lot of people are going to know directly, but you definitely know the song because it's featured in countless like Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff like that. We're in the money. We're in the money. We got a lot of money folks to get along. I can't believe I'm doing this. See, in my mind, it's from 42nd Street, but I guess because 42nd right. Street is actually made up of all these songs from, like, 30s musicals, that makes sense that it's actually from a movie that I've never even heard of. <laughs> right, but again, it really does set the tone in a lot of ways because, again, there's so many references from that sort of period. That uh, era, general, yeah, totally. From, in The Simpsons, but musically especially, too. But again, it's totally within the world of the show, right? right? They're actually supposed to be singing. It's not a musical number. you know. Right. No it's diegetic, as it were. Diegetic, yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. For so. those who aren't familiar with the term, because it's going to come up a lot in this series, diegetic is a term that's used for when a song is taking place within the reality of the film or the musical. So like if someone turns on a radio and you hear a song and then they start singing along, that's considered diegetic versus when someone breaks out into song in sort of like a fantasy sequence or film score that is considered non-diegetic music. Yeah, exactly. So the next one that really stood out to me as kind of an important landmark is also from the first season. There is kind of a musical number in the first season. Do you remember what it is? No, because I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> when I rewatch The Simpsons, I kind of tend to skip season one and two. Definitely skip season one because it's just the animation. The whole season is so rough. And I really should go back and revisit it because I think there's probably some great stuff that I am overlooking because of that. But yeah, no, I genuinely have no recollection of what it might be. Yeah, fair enough. So it's from an episode called No Disgrace Like Home. Which is, is this the one where they have the dinner party and Homer is like a drunk and and not that one. It's okay. It's, it's a, actually kind of a similar plot, but reverse. <laughs> it's actually very non-characteristic. So what happens is there's a company picnic and Marge gets drunk. Oh, yes, 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 and, yes, yes. And yes. Homer is really conscious of how everyone sees them. So, and it's actually, I believe it's Al Jean and Mike Reese's first script for The Simpsons. Okay. And it was such early days that they wrote it with Marge's character named Juliet, I think. Like, it's crazy how early oh, wow. it is in the development of it. And they clearly didn't know the characters very well because it's not a storyline that would ever happen now. Right? No, that um, doesn't really track within the reality of the show. Right. right. But so the musical number happens because Marge gets drunk with all of the other women, I think, at the party. And they okay. sing Hey Brother, Pour the Wine, which is a Dean Martin song. Enjoying the shade. Hey Brother, Pour the Wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey Brother, Pour the Wine. Okay, It's sure. very strange. It's one of those ones that kind of rides a little bit on the fence in terms of is it diegetic? Is it a musical right. number? I mean, it doesn't move the story forward. And you could totally read it as this is something that's actually happening. It's not a fantasy sequence of any kind. But it is like kind of a full song that actually has choreography and stuff. So that's huh. kind of interesting. And and when Algene and Mike Reese become the showrunners, which is season three and four, that's when the musical stuff starts to become more common. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So... The beginning of season three, we also get a big 
sort of injection of musical talent into the show. And I mean, do you want to say what that is? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, in the episode that no longer exists for reasons that we are not going to get into on this show, Stark Raving Dad features the voice of Michael Jackson playing a character who thinks he's Michael Jackson. And for many, many years, there was speculation of, was this really him? Because it was credited under a pseudonym. And famously, Jackson's contract with Sony prohibited him from performing any music for anyone other than Sony, CBS. So all of the singing in the episode is performed by a session singer, a sound-alike, although I don't think it really sounds that much like him, but fair enough. Uh, So, like, Lisa, It's Your Birthday, and there's a couple other, like, he sings a parody of Ben, I believe, at one point. Homer, the two of us need look no more. That's not being performed by Jackson, but the speaking voice of Leon Kampowski is actually, yes, it is actually, in fact, Michael Jackson. And and interestingly enough, the, the Lisa, It's Your Birthday number, there is an actual demo version that he produced where he does sing it, which you kind of have to, like, know a guy who knows a guy who has access to it. Right. Lisa, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, Lisa. And he's the first musical guest on the show. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And so, and the first of many, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And most of them are more from the world of, you know, recorded music. And usually playing themselves, right? Like the, yeah. the Rolling Stones played themselves and the Who played themselves and Lenny right. Kravitz plays himself. Whereas right. he's playing, a, it's a character who thinks he's Michael Jackson, but in a sense he is playing a character. Yeah, and that was, I feel like, more common in the early days because, frankly, a lot of famous people didn't want to be on The Simpsons. (laughs) Yeah. They were kind of curious but didn't want to be credited as being on The Simpsons. Right. Which is how you get Dustin Hoffman playing uh, (laughs) Lisa's teacher and being credited as, what is it again? Sam Etic. Yeah, as (laughs) Semitic because he's a Jew. Yes. So, yeah, this is kind of from that era as well where it's like, yeah, it's probably better if everyone's speculating whether or not it's Michael Jackson at that point right. in time. But yeah, so that's the first of that kind of musical entry on The Simpsons. And then uh, later in that same period under Algene and Mike Reese, you get the first episode that is really themed around musical theater, which is, of course, a streetcar named Marge. Um, oh, streetcar! <laughs> oh, streetcar. Streetcar! But again... The interesting thing about this is that this is in some ways a musical episode, but it's all within the reality of the show. Right, right? yeah. Again, no one's breaking out into song in a fantasy kind of way. It's all just cutting back and forth between very grounded, you know, sitcom-y sort of stuff, and then Marge and and the other folks performing in the stage play. And that's how they make it a musical episode. And again, it's a parody of a type of musical that very much was popular at the time, but it is not a parody of a specific musical. As far as I'm aware, there is no musical adaptation of A Streetcar Named Desire, a very famous play, but not a very famous musical. Although, the, the, I, I know for because from the commentary track, the opening number about New Orleans, where they talk about how terrible New Orleans is and kind of got themselves in trouble. New Orleans! is meant to be a parody of the opening number of Sweeney Todd, right, which right. Is essentially talks about, it sort of sets up the story of who Sweeney Todd is, but also sort of sets the tone for like what a dump London was at the time. Right. And so that's what they were kind of going for. And I guess it was lost on people and they thought that they were just insulting New Orleans for 30 <laughs> seconds. So, And this is also written by Jeff Martin. 
who, as we were saying, like he wrote a lot of important songs sort of in this era of the show. And this episode is really a showcase of his talent. And then also in season four, this is the moment where you get the first actual true musical number in The Simpsons. Mm, And can you guess what that one is? I'm going to go out on a limb and say (laughs) it is Conan O'Brien's Marge versus the Monorail. That's right. That's right, Monorail! That is the very first one that sort of really follows the conventions of a musical where a character breaks out into song, it's not justified within the world of the show at all. It's just, it's a musical number. What's it called? Once again. And it's used to move the plot forward. He has to persuade the town to buy the monorail. (laughs) That is the one that actually really kind of breaks through and says, yes, The Simpsons can actually be a musical sometimes. But it took four and a half seasons to kind of get to that point of of toying with musicals in one way or another with musical guests with musical segments musical numbers all of that kind of stuff before you finally get to this point and it really takes conan o'brien's love of the music (laughs) man to finally push it over the ledge and he's talked about a little bit like pitching that episode and thinking that it might be kind of like a little bit too out there but they loved it i think it was about I, I, probably about 10 years ago at this point, but when The Simpsons did their Live at the Hollywood Bowl series of concerts, Conan showed up and performed the Monorail song himself. Shake your hands! Raise your voice! Monorail! What's it called? Monorail! And he has stated on numerous occasions that he would love to play Harold Hill in The Music Man on Broadway, which, you know, I, no offense to Hugh Jackman, I would pay big bucks to see Conan <laughs> O'Brien play Harold Hill in The Music Man. For sure. For sure. That's his retirement plan, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, season eight, of course, we get our first full musical episode, which is Simpson Califragilistic Expialidocious. It's it's the first time that they actually do a full front-to-back parody of a musical. It's the first one that has many, many different musical numbers throughout that really mm-hmm. follow the whole style of a musical where it's again it's a fantasy within the show it's not justified by the plot all that kind of stuff and since then it's kind of become pretty standard there's been a lot of other musical numbers of that kind fully musical episodes in fact the last complete season the premiere of the season was actually a full musical episode called the star of the backstage which was written by a former crazy ex-girlfriend person okay um, yeah, yeah yeah and has like parodies of Rent and Wicked and Chicago and Bohemian Rhapsody and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of has become this tradition since then within the show and very much part of the vocabulary of how The Simpsons works. To the point that it actually became very difficult for us to distill this down into a miniseries and pick only (laughs) a handful because we really had a lot of options and we spent a lot of time sort of back and forth deciding, okay, like what are we going to pick to be the ones that we want to cover? Which segues nicely into, Nate, what are the movies and and episodes that we're going to be talking about this season? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, one of the key criteria for us is that we do really want to find movies that we haven't seen before. 
Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, we could do The Music Man, but both of us have seen The Music Man. And also it's kind of a gargantuan task to take <laughs> yeah, on I, that episode and that movie together without, like, I think we need a really good guest for that one, one of these Yeah, days. Conan, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> I know I know you're in search of a friend, so uh, we're, right. we're more than welcome to have you on the show. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime... Yeah, for now, I think we have an awesome lineup of movies and episodes that are going to help us expand our horizons and find out about all sorts of new stuff. So we're kind of doing this chronologically. So we wanted to kind of find movies from different eras that really also captured moments in musical history. So Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't go back as far as Gold Diggers of 1933, (laughs) partly because (laughs) neither of us had a lot of interest in doing that. But uh, we are starting with a movie called On the Town, which is not a movie that I knew anything about at all. I didn't really even know it existed, but many people will remember it from the episode Boy Scouts in the Hood, which features Bart and Milhouse going on a squishy bender and accidentally <laughs> uh, joining the Junior Rangers, I think they're called. Ju- the Junior Campers. Junior yeah. Campers. There you go. And so that musical number, Springfield, Springfield, uh, is a parody of the number New York, New York from this movie On the Town. So that'll be an interesting one. It's got, let's see, it's got Gene Kelly, right? Frank yep. Sinatra. Um, so the other guy and that other guy, uh, yeah, that'll be fun. Sailors on shore leave in New York. I mean, how could you go wrong? Right. One of the reasons it feels like a good starting point is that it's very much, at least this is my understanding, having not seen the film, but it's very much in that vein of like a 1940s sort of like MGM studio musical. It's a very specific type of musical that was very popular at the time, has very much fallen out of popularity, yeah. um, but felt like it would be sort of an interesting kind of time capsule to start this series with. Totally. And so our next one on the list is My Fair Lady. And when we were just starting to think about this season, this was one of the other reasons why we felt like this was a great idea for a theme was because we reached out to Simpsons writer Michael Price to see if he might be interested in coming on the show because he expressed some interest when we first started posting about it. And we were really lucky enough for him to actually say yes. And when we asked him what movie would he want to talk about, instantly he said he wanted to talk about My Fair Lady. And so we're really excited to dig into that with him as well as one of the episodes that Michael Price wrote called My Fair Laddie, which is all about (laughs) groundskeeper Willie becoming a prim and proper Scottish man. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. Again, a slightly different era of musicals. It's a little bit like later than On the Town at a time when the musical sort of, what, genre is evolving, I think, on film quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, I referenced the golden age of musicals. The 1960s is when everything sort of starts to change on Broadway. This is a famous Broadway musical that then became a very, very famous film adaptation. If you think of films from the time, it's like there's My Fair Lady, there's Sound of Music. And then there's a little film called Mary Poppins, which, uh, Nate, what about Mary Poppins? Yeah, so Mary Poppins, that's the next one on our list, comes out the same year as My Fair Lady in 1964. Mm -hmm. uh, And I gather there's some, like, controversy around that, which I'm sure we'll dig into, like a bit of a rivalry between those two films. But, of course, as we already said, it was the basis for the episode, I'm going to have to try to say this again, (laughs) Simpson Califragilistic Expialidocious! 
one of the sort of best-known musical parodies on The Simpsons, uh, the first fully musical episode. What, what more can you say? That one's going to be a fun one to dig into. I mean, the movie's a masterpiece. It's also interesting because unlike the rest of the films that we're talking about in this series, this is a f- film musical first. Everything else is an adaptation of a Broadway show, and I think as a result, you get a very sort of different kind of movie musical than you might from something that is being adapted from the stage. Totally. And we'll uh, be having another special guest on that episode, Rachel West from our very own ThatShelf.com. Uh, yes. Senior critic with the website. And I I gather that she's a big fan of Mary Poppins and uh, has some interesting opinions about the Simpsons episode. So Yeah, so she claims. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The next one, uh, this should be a real <laughs> treat. Oh, God. I'm not um, looking forward to this at that, all. That I kind of can't believe actually exists. It's called Paint Your Wagon, a movie from 1969. <laughs> it is <laughs> featured on the Simpsons episode All Singing, All Dancing at the very beginning, which is a clip show of all of the great musical numbers, some of the ones that will be featured on this season. But it starts with this parody of a movie starring Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin that is a, a Western musical. Um, yeah. And... and it's actually not really much of a parody. It's a real thing that actually exists in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a yeah. famous flop from the era. Yeah. Uh, and famously, like, Nate and I didn't realize until, you know, fairly recently, we just assumed that this was a joke. Just a joke, yeah. And it turns out, no, no, no. Not only does this thing exist, it is also based on a Broadway show. Like, right. it's, so uh, it's, by it's, Lerner it's, and Lowe, who's, you know... Also did My Fair Lady, yeah. Right. So it's... Uh, I, uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm really not looking forward to having to sit through this, but uh, it'll be an interesting ride, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm... Interesting uh, wagon ride. Interesting. I always love the kind of weird, janky movies that we find ourselves watching, so it'll be interesting to see where we land on that one. Next one, another kind of unusual one. Again, not something that I have ever heard of. I don't know anyone who's seen this movie. Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Um mm. Apparently, a very popular musical uh, or yeah, musical apparently. movie of the 1980s. It was like it's like in the top five grossing movies of the decade, I think. Movies of any kind, it's and crazy. yet nobody remembers that it exists. Yes, except for uh, maybe Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds fans. But uh, right, right, they're the stars of this movie. But why are we watching this movie? Well, uh, this one's kind of interesting because it's a little bit more roundabout. But the episode Bart After Dark. The plot of the episode is actually based on the plot of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. So it actually doesn't feature any of the musical numbers and doesn't really feature any exact scenes, but the setup is almost exactly the same. So it's very, that one's going to be kind of interesting to just like tease out what the influences are a little bit. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. A, because Dolly Parton is the greatest. Yeah. And B, it's just like, like you said, I do not know anybody who has seen this. Even tracking this down was a little bit difficult. So I'm very, very curious and very excited to see what this is all about. For sure. And then our last movie in this miniseries is A Chorus Line, which I gather, like, you're pretty excited about this one, right? Yeah, I have never seen the film adaptation of A Chorus Line because it's kind of not well regarded amongst musical theater fans Mm -hmm. it's kind of considered to be a very poor adaptation of the stage show but i am very familiar with the stage show my wife was in a production of the stage show i saw the stage show in stratford and then i'm a huge fan of the documentary about the making of the stage show Mm. a chorus line comes at a very very interesting turning point 
in musical theater, Broadway theater. You know, it, it famously wins a bunch of awards like the Tony and the Pulitzer. It comes out in 1985, so it's right before the big, huge sort of West End mega musical takes over Broadway. It's, you know, while The Simpsons Connection is very, very minute, admittedly, uh, I personally think that this will be a fascinating discussion. And I'm really excited for you, Nate, to sort of go on this journey with me, especially because allegedly the film owes a great deal of debt to one of our all-time favorite films, All That Jazz. Ooh, uh, so, yeah, exactly. So I think this is going to be a really, really fun one to sort of unpack. There's going to be a lot here for us to sort of discuss and analyze. Yeah, sounds great. And the actual episode that it's connected to is Treehouse of Horror 5, <laughs> uh, which it is a small reference, but it's uh, oh, one it's... of my favorites because it, it's a great yes. ending to that episode based on a musical number from A Chorus Line where a fog turns the family inside out and then they dance to a song called One. With, um, with Willie. With Willie, that's true. Willie shows up, dog yep. shows up and eats Bart. Yeah, uh, it's, it's great. great. Um, so yeah, that is the miniseries, and I'm really super excited about all of these. Yeah. And, and we should also say, even if you're not the biggest musical fan, because I know that musicals are definitely not for everybody, and certainly musical films are not for everybody. Ironically, despite being such a huge fan of musical theater, I'm on the record of not always being the biggest fans of film adaptations of musicals, because I think as a medium, film is not necessarily the best medium for musicals outside of animated films and which is a whole other kettle of fish and why i think i love the musical parodies on the simpsons more than the films themselves in some cases but i i I, what i would say is that even if you are not the biggest musical fan i think you should go along on this journey with us because i think you're still going to find some stuff that you enjoy and at the very least like most of these films will have at least one earworm that you will be humming for the rest of the week so for sure yeah I mean, they're on The Simpsons, so you know that's exactly yeah. And at the at the very least, at the very least, it's a good excuse to go back and rewatch some of these classic episodes because I, I, you know, not only are these films going to be super exciting to to tuck into, I'm really excited to dig back into what are without question some of my all time favorite episodes of the series. One hundred percent. So with that, I mean. What's our next episode going to be all about? Yeah. Coming up next, we'll be talking about the 1949 film On the Town, which pairs nicely with Boy Scouts in the Hood. So track down a copy of On the Town. It's on iTunes. And uh, the episode is actually ready and waiting for you. We are changing up our release schedule a little bit this season. We're going to be releasing every other week instead of every week, just to sort of keep us all sane. Uh, But... You know, it gives you a little more time to digest the film, digest the episode, and it's, you know, it gives you something, what's that expression? Anticipation makes the heart grow fonder? That's not a real expression, but anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, And in the meantime, we want to just thank you again for joining us for another episode, and now another season of the Springfield Googleplex, the movie podcast for Simpson fans. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave us a review. The reviews really do help. And then share this with, um, you know, other Simpson fans and film buffs in your life. And until next time, we'll see you around the Plex. We'll see you around the Plex. And now we start to sing a song that's kind of musical-y. Da, 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 da. Nate's, Nate's flailing his arms, which you can't see because it's on video and this is an audio medium. But um, I can For assure now. you.
It's very well. Oh God, because <laughs> yeah, it's not enough production work. Yeah. <laughs> Big time.